0: You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 55, What We Do in the Shadows.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. It's Mike and Dave with you here with another episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity, and this one is off the beaten path for sure but it's definitely one that I knew I wanted to talk about as soon as I saw that it was on FX's schedule. And that is what we do in the shadows. And I find myself wondering, Dave, if our listening audience has checked this one out or not, because it's not necessarily one that might have been on their radar.
0: Well, it certainly wasn't on my radar. And you're know, you the one that alerted me to it. And as my wife said, as I was watching it, is everything about vampires these days? And my answer was, of course, well, yeah, but this is clearly not what I think most of the vampire shows are presenting these days. And and of course she loved the office and immediately picked up the vibe in what we do in the shadows that uh, the FX version is presenting.
1: Exactly. It's definitely a single camera comedy in the style of The Office, it seems like nowadays audiences take for granted the little on-camera interviews that intersperse in between the plot lines, and it's perfectly normal. They did it in The Office because it was a documentary. They did it in Parks and Rec and Modern Family for no reason at all. They just kind of... Don't explain why that's happening here in what we do in the shadows. It's back to that mockumentary style where they even acknowledge the cameras sometimes. So I kind of liked that aspect of it, but it's definitely episodic. But I have to say, I enjoyed the fact that it had some underlying mythology to it. Did you notice that?
0: Oh, I did. And, you know, you mentioned visually how it's put together and for how long was scripted drama Basically, instructed to avoid breaking the fourth wall. And of course, that's a huge part of this show and shows like you mentioned, like The Office, Parks and Rec. So I really like that aspect of it. And, and as you said, the mockumentary feel to it. And for the most part, we really only see that in movies up to this point.
1: All right. And so I like the fact that this particular one has a reason for doing it. And that's because it's based. On a mockumentary film, Uh, a New Zealand film of the same name was directed by and starred Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi. The movie itself debuted at Sundance in 2015. And Waititi, of course, famously went on from that to direct Thor Ragnarok. And that earned him enough cred to end up being at the helm of Avengers Endgame, which, of course, was in theaters recently. So he and Clement Wright direct executive produce the FX adaptation, which premiered on March 27th, 2019. So we are talking about this a little bit late into its run, but I kind of like that we got a bunch of uh, different flavors to the story as we watch the different episodes. We're, of course, only going to be talking about the first few, but definitely something that you can enjoy separately each episode one at a time.
0: All right now directed endgame. So I guess he's going to be able to pay his rent this month. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a show that uses the half hour episode, which, you know, I like because I said many times my attention span is <laughs> perhaps not what it once was, but I really like that. So as you said, we're going to get to talk about the first four or five episodes and I just think this show is wonderful. I, I almost don't see how anybody couldn't like it. Is it racy? Of course, at times they they put the warning up. This is meant for adults. And I, I think sometimes the warnings aren't even warranted for certain episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and some of the storylines are stronger than others. And we'll talk about that. But for those who are not familiar with the source material, this was a mockumentary of vampires who were living in the Wellington suburbs of New Zealand, which is where Clement and Waititi are from this time it's in modern Staten Island. They're living together. And so the show then explores the pitfalls of, you know, a bunch of people living in a house. They are behind the times because they live a long time. They've got problems with immortality. They've got problems with their own relationships. And that provides a lot of the humor for the show and both the movie and the TV show. Sometimes, Reference the cameras, which I definitely uh, enjoy that aspect of it. They don't go overboard with it, but it's just enough. And um, we've got a whole host of new characters that have taken the place of the characters in the movie, but they are somewhat reminiscent of those characters. So like with The Office, uh, you had David Brent in the original and, you know, Michael Scott was a completely different name. Right. But still felt the same way. Same thing is going on here. New names, new faces, but definitely inspired by the original. Right.
0: And when you say new faces, at least for me, the actors are completely new as well.
1: Yeah. And we'll start with Kaven Novak, who plays Nandor the Relentless, arguably the protagonist or the main character of the series. And what a great look he has. He's supposed to be a soldier from the Ottoman Empire. That's how old he is. He kind of looks like he is, even when he's in street clothes. I've seen a few interviews and... Dude looks ancient. (laughs) He does. But he's obviously supposed to be reminiscent of Waititi's character Viago in the movie. And he's very particular. That's why he's called Nandor the Relentless, because he's a bit relentless with his roommates about managing the household and not leaving half drunk victims in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't mean inebriated.
0: (laughs) Right. I think that's in the first episode. Yeah. Right.
1: And he treats his familiar Guillermo very poorly. He uh, tells him at one time, vampire only laughing, Guillermo, <laughs> you know, he's not allowed to laugh. But deep down, you do get the sense that there's a bit of a friendship between those two. And Nandor's initial storyline involves a visit from a very important old vampire from Europe who wonders why they haven't yet conquered the new world. And you get the sense that that's going to be the underlying story for the season.
0: Right. And and, uh, again, there are some great scenes that we'll talk about in a few minutes specifically about that when they have to actually point out how much of the new world they have conquered at this point.
1: (laughs) And just to let you know, we are going to be talking about the characters and their general plot lines in the non-spoiler aspect of the podcast. And then when we get to the spoiler zone, we'll go into more specifics, including the visitor that Nandor has. Uh, Matt Berry plays Laszlo Cravensworth, and I got the sense that was inspired by uh Jermaine Clement's Vladislav or Vlad from the movie. He's married to Nadja, who turned him decades ago, maybe centuries ago, I'm not exactly sure, but Laszlo kind of fancies himself as a man about town, but you can tell he's woefully behind the times. He talks a lot about, oh, we're getting dressed down for the evening and they're still wearing ruffles and <laughs> uh, corsets and things like that, so he's got some of the best comedy in the series from my point of view. One of my favorite lines in the series comes in episode three at the very end before the credits roll. He says, as Beethoven said, whatever, something in German, which means these bushes won't trim themselves. But there again, he was always saying shit like that, <laughs> yeah, like just random things like that. I think is what makes Laszlo special. But I think what makes the show special is that it didn't go with the third roommate, which I can't even remember the third uh, vampire in the movie. But here we have a female vampire. And how could you not? You know, you need that female addition to the cast. And Natasha demetrio I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but she is wonderful as Nadja and has some of the best storylines. Would you agree, Dave?
0: Uh, I would. And she's sort of the driving force. I mean, yes, as you mentioned, Nandor seems to be the head of the household, if you will. But really, it's Nadia that that really drives, I think, most of the storylines.
1: Yeah. And she has a lot of the ongoing storylines as well, like some of the underlying mythology. She's got a couple things going on that we'll mention in the spoiler zone. One of which I'll tease involves a man that she believes to be the reincarnation of a former lover. And I think the reason they're exploring that is because you get the sense that she's a bit disillusioned with her marriage to Laszlo. It's kind of lost its spark a little bit. They're still a very loving couple, but she's maybe exploring, uh, (laughs) trying to sow her wild oats in her third or fourth century of life as a vampire. Yep, Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. And then I uh, have to mention Harvey Guillen as Guillermo, Nando's familiar, who, like Jackie in the film, if for those of you who have seen that one, Jackie longs to be a vampire. And, you know, circumstances line up towards the end of the movie along those lines. But you get the sense that Guillermo is going to have to wait a long time if he ever gets to be a vampire. But that's his driving force. He brings victims to his master and the others generally keeps things tidy around the house, but he served Nandor the relentless for 10 years and feels that it's time. And apparently familiars don't usually serve that long before being gifted with immortality. So is there any hope of him becoming a vampire? I'm not sure because of course that's such a pivotal part of his character. Maybe by the end of season one, I don't know. Or, or I would think it has to happen at some point. Otherwise you draw that out too long.
0: Right. And I don't know if I've heard whether or not there is a season two that's been greenlit yet or not.
1: I don't think so. But yeah, hopefully <laughs> just so we can see this plot line alone, I think it would be enough an incentive. But yeah, Guillermo is great. He's definitely put upon a lot of sad humor about him, but just some great delivery of, of his lines. He's, of course, got the modern View and sometimes has to correct things for the vampires who don't understand how things work in the 21st century. But the one character that's a little bit outside the norm that I'm not sure what to think of yet is Mark Proksh as Colin Robinson, who is an energy vampire. You notice he has a very normal name, Colin Robinson. He's a day walking vampire because he's not one who feeds on blood, but rather he sucks the life out of people at a cubicle farm at his office and is often shunned or forgotten about in the household because he can drain vampires too, which I'm not sure how I feel about that because I feel like, sure, they can be kind of disdainful of him, but I don't know that he needs to be able to <laughs> feed off his own roommates because it kind of says to me, why would he live there then? and Why would they allow him to live there? But don't you get the sense that this character is supposed to allow the writers to do plot lines that might be similar to parks and recreation or the office
0: well absolutely because he's in that setting as you mentioned and then because he is so different you have to wonder and we haven't really found out yet how did he even come to live in that same house with (laughs) nandor and the others and then again as you said the fact that he can feed off of his roommates. See, unlike you, I kind of like that as long as they don't overdo it. I mean, we really don't see it much, but
1: what they do show is whenever he's feeding, he has this expression on his face, wide eyed, his teeth bared, but he doesn't have fangs. He just basically looks like he's doing a vampire face. And that's how, you know, he's just fed off of somebody that was being bored to death by whatever mundane topic he chose to, droll on and on about which i guess is how he gets uh, his energy from his victim so interesting character definitely rounds out the bunch and allows the show to explore a, a number of different plot lines and avenues but let's go ahead and dive into the spoiler zone at this point because we do want to talk about some of the more specific plot lines both the episodic ones and the underlying mythology and we'll take a quick break and come back into the spoiler zone
2: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right, Dave, arguably one of the main plot lines that we're going to be following is the takeover of Staten Island, because I mentioned that Nandor had a very special visitor and received a letter that he was coming. And that's Baron Afanas, an old vampire from Europe that, you know, has lived probably millennia and has delivered to Staten Island in a coffin and has some very specific guidelines for what they need to do moving forward instead of just living in a house in new york
0: <laughs> yeah and yeah, again it's a great storyline it's it's uh especially funny when they try to basically make excuses for why they haven't done more and you know whether it's the fact that they've taken over the neighborhood well no the street well no the house
1: <laughs> the and, next couple of houses right. <laughs> yeah they haven't made a whole lot of progress but I was really pleased that they chose to cast Doug Jones as Baron Afanas because of course, Star Trek discovery viewers know him as Saru. We know him as Cochise from falling skies. He's always wearing some sort of alien looking makeup in most of his roles because he's got that lanky frame that allows him to embody these uh, alien creatures. And he even already played an ancient vampire the ancient in the strain so he's definitely well suited to play this character a little bit more comedic of course than than the old vampire in the strain but he is shipped in his coffin you have to wonder why he chose staten island but we are grateful that he did just for the humor of the of the situation and they're preparing for it you know they want to make sure that this dignitary among vampire kind is treated with respect So they go shopping at the party store for some creepy paper, (laughs) which, of course, is the crepe paper hanging from the ceiling, supposed to look like human skin. But also, I love that Nandor chooses to buy a little bit of glitter so that he can do a bit of the Twilight vampire look for himself. (laughs)
0: Yeah and you got to love the virgin angle and and of course as you mentioned that's Guillermo's job. I mean what did you think about his decision about where to find virgins?
1: Yes indeed he had to go after the larpers the live action role players who would do mock battles out in the campus square or the quad if you will. <laughs> and yeah they actually choose the virgins and don't end up drinking them i don't think in fact i think baron afanas goes after laszlo's familiar june at the beginning there i think there's probably going to be an ongoing plot line where laszlo's anonymous familiar keeps getting eaten because i think we've already lost two of his at this point uh, whereas guillermo is an ongoing familiar but that being said the LARPers aren't done in this episode. We actually will get to see them a little bit more, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I also just like that they have such a problem cleaning up the place. First, they want to have the uh, ceremony in the basement to open up the coffin of the Baron. They finally have to move to the attic, but they have to move the Stairmaster out of the way. Uh, And I have to note that Baron Afanas is the first to notice the cameras and immediately ignore them again. So I, I thought that was a nice way to introduce the concept. But Baron Afanas is obviously not in every episode. He just introduces the mission and gets back into his coffin. But they have to enact this mission over the next couple episodes. And one of the strategies they come up with is the fact that Colin Robinson, since he is an office worker, he knows some of the local politicians and suggests making their demands known. At a city council meeting. And this is the episode that struck me very much like a Parks and Rec episode because of the city council setting. But Nandor's threats to submit or die are met with bureaucratic indifference and an invitation to the next meeting. So I just love the understated nature of the humor in the show uh, with moments like that.
0: Oh, I mean, the fact, as you said, that they were invited to the next meeting is just classic. It's <laughs> there are so many scenes and incidents like this throughout the first four or five episodes that I just love it.
1: Yeah. Nandor is just kind of like, oh, OK, so I'll put that in my calendar. <laughs> you know? So obviously it's clear why they haven't achieved dominance over the new world. But that's a cool plot line that they go after because Laszlo tries to influence the board chairperson, Barbara Lazaro, by ridding her of a neighborhood full of raccoons. That doesn't go so well. Kind of is well because of how far he takes it (laughs) piles of raccoons on her doorstep. But Nandor goes after a different strategy. He says, why not encourage her rival to the chairmanship by charming him. But the guy ends up ranting and raving at the next meeting, much to the delight of Colin Robinson, who probably is feeding off of every last bit of despair But, you know, that kind of gives you the flavor for the kind of failure they're going to encounter. But they're just going to have to keep trying. And in fact, by episode four, the group is appealing to the Manhattan vampires led by Simon the devious. You know, they have more vampires at their disposal in the big city, but internal rivalries within the vampire world, especially over this cursed hat made from witch skin that Laszlo wears a great little uh, plot device you know, that prevents any progress because they're always going to be at each other's throats. No pun intended.
0: <laughs> right. And it also establishes the fact that our group of vampires is pretty far down the pecking order.
1: Yeah. But even the Manhattan vampires are faintly ridiculous. In fact, I think they end up blowing up their own nightclub with some flaming arrows at one point. So uh, not the old world vampires that And Afanas was counting on taking over the new world. They definitely have been influenced by the culture in America. And of course uh, that's what provides most of the humor for that as well. But one of the things I find the most intriguing, which isn't necessarily humorous, although it has humorous aspects to it and that's Nadja's secrets and she has more than one. So you mentioned the LARPers and one of those LARPers that comes to the house is a girl named Jenna, who's a slightly overweight shy girl who's often overlooked even within her own group of nerds. So at one point, you know, she's kind of being put upon and not being treated very well by the group. And she mentions that she has a boyfriend online that doesn't treat her very well. So Nadja seeks to empower Jenna and ends up turning her into a vampire. And we only get just bits and pieces over the next few episodes, glimpses of Jenna Adjusting to becoming a vampire on a college campus, and it has little or no connection to the episodic stories at this point. But I can't wait to see where it ends up. What's going to happen with this Jenna plot line?
0: Right, because you know, the one thing about Nadia is that we see her within the context of an all male household, which is obviously empowering for her because she as I said earlier, drives a lot of what's going on, but here she sees a human that, you know, as you said, she eventually turns her, but she feels it's important to teach this young woman about how she has to stand up for herself and and she can't let herself be pushed around.
1: Right. And I just can't wait to see where that goes because there was a plot line in the movie that was similar to this that ended up uh, really backfiring on the household. And that, in that storyline. So I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but the other secret that Nadja has is this former warrior lover of hers who has supposedly been reincarnated in the form of a parking garage, night watchman named Jeff Suckler. She calls him Gregor because that's the original um, uh, man's name, but she likes to watch her Gregor from afar, but finally approaches him is very seductive with him But he seems kind of into it. He's into the weirdness of the whole situation and how she's being very overt, but he keeps killing the vibe with his mundaneness and just complete uh, social ineptitude.
0: And, And don't we learn that he is not the first reincarnation of Gregor?
1: Yeah, he's been reincarnated many times. And by the time we reach episode five, she's kind of awakened him to the memories of his former lives. And that may be the end of that plotline. I'm not sure, but it does seem to, you know, awaken something in Nadja, especially from the standpoint of her disillusionment with her marriage. But I, I wonder if we're going to keep going forward with that because that is a secret that she's keeping from Laszlo and the others. But I'm keeping my eye on this Gregor plotline.
0: Right. Well, and the mystery also, you know, involves whether or not she's imagining all of this. Now, as you said, he does seem to remember his past lives. But for a time there, we're wondering, yeah, yeah, is this just all in her head?
1: Yeah. <laughs> is she just projecting Gregor onto this Night Watchman? So, yeah, Nadja has basically had the most interesting plot lines because of the fact that they cross over between episodes. And that's not always the case with the other characters. But other storylines and highlights that I want to mention, first of all, we have Guillermo's desire to become a vampire, often leading him to disappointment, of course. But after 10 years in the premiere, his master promises to, quote, make him a vampire. But what he means by that, of course, is that he made him a glitter portrait of the two of them in which Guillermo is depicted as a vampire. (laughs) Not exactly what he had in mind. In fact, Guillermo is tempted to let the sunlight in that evening or that morning, I guess I should say. Uh, But you know, Nandor hits him with moments of kindness that always uh, makes him second guess his decision. And even at one point when Guillermo is kind of pissed that Nandor was going to let the Manhattan vampires kill him and eat him, not turn him, but actually kill him and drain his blood. Nandor tries to make it up to him by flying around with him, flying around in the sky with him to apologize. So can he become a vampire eventually like Jackie did in the movie or would that kill it? I'm not sure, but I'm enjoying it so far.
0: Yeah, I I think it would kill it. (laughs) Uh, You get that one scene where he's pretending to uh, fly with him when they're still in the house and and they go by a mirror and you only see guillermo which was cool obviously could see both of them when they were outside because there's no mirrors
1: and there's a whole scene where he's hanging out with other familiars at the manhattan nightclub and you can see he doesn't really fit in with them and uh so there's there's a whole lot that's working against guillermo and i don't know i guess it would be nice to see him overcome some of his shortcomings but at the same time that's obviously what he's all about so Now, in many vampire tales, we do see werewolves as the enemy of vampires. And in this show, it's no different. And that was certainly the case in the movie as well. And there's an episode in which the werewolves pee on Laszlo's vulva topiary. (laughs) Don't ask. (laughs) Luckily, there's the werewolf vampire accord of 1993. And I love that it's the accord of 1993 because they make it sound so fancy. And the fact that it's so recent just adds an inexplicable a jolt of humor to the situation <laughs> yeah
0: not to mention that i believe they urinated on the vulva topiary of laszlo's mother if i recall uh, correctly which yeah. t- opens up a whole set of issues that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the court of
1: 1993 does say that they can't kill each other except on neutral ground so they go to a roof of an old circuit city as one does <laughs> for vampires and werewolves. And of course the battle is kind of a little bit ridiculous. The werewolves are fairly inept. They're supposed to be able to heal quickly, but it doesn't really happen very quickly at all. And although the werewolves are supposedly defeated by means of a squeaky toy thrown off the side of the building in which the opponent can't help, but pursue it like a dog. (laughs) I'm wondering if the werewolf and vampire dynamic is going to be played with in the future I think it will, especially since there seemed to be something going on between the werewolves and Guillermo. And I can't help but wonder, maybe that's how he'll get out of his dilemma. Maybe he'll become a vampire and that will be a new dynamic for them to explore. But I'm sure we haven't seen the last of the werewolves.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't think so. And That does seem to be something that's cropping up in a lot of these shows. Uh, vampires, demons, witches, werewolves, different combinations of the above.
1: Exactly and having rivalries between the groups. So Colin Robinson is another character that needs a little bit of highlighting. Cause he does have an episode in which he has a love affair with an emotional vampire who shows up in his office and they compete over resources in very humorous fashion where she's sucking everyone dry by telling them all about her woes and how her cat died and how her mother's in the hospital. And <laughs> she has a different kind of strategy than Colin does who just bores people to death. So that was a fun episode. Definitely had a very office like story arc, but I was kind of glad it was a one and done, but I have to say overall, I love this series because it does go for the comedy. It does go for the single camera angle that we usually see in these types of shows, but it does make liberal use of special effects, perhaps even more so than the movie and the bat transformations in particular are kind of impressive.
0: Yeah. And and that really is one of, for me, the funniest aspects of the first five episodes is when I forget whether it's Nandor or Laszlo turns into a bat and ends up getting captured by animal control.
2: And then, of course, they've got to
0: uh, initiate a mission to rescue him. Well, I'll turn into a dog. That way I can get into uh, the animal shelter. Well, you didn't think they were going to put you in a cage, too.
1: Yeah, that was funny, but it kind of bothered me that, wait, vampires can turn into dogs? Yeah, yeah. Minor quibble. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's often used very mundanely. It's just they don't want to walk anywhere. So they use flight to get from place to place just out of laziness. They use the charming spell against humans quite a bit. And I like that one. They even have minor aversions to crossed fingers at one point with Guillermo crossing his fingers and accidentally mentioning God occasionally, and he gets a hiss for his troubles. (laughs) But yeah, a lot of things like vampire flight, you see pretty much everything that you would expect to see aversion to sunlight, all those things. And so the special effects do actually play into the, into the story quite a bit. So I appreciate that they took that extra effort, but it's a comedy at heart. And uh, if you're into that sort of thing, we've been warming up to sci-fi comedies lately. So why not supernatural comedies as well?
0: Yeah. I, think you'd be hard pressed to not think it's funny.
1: Right. And and we only went up through episode five, episode six and seven, I believe, have aired by the time this podcast comes out. Uh So the season is almost over, but half hour episodes, you can easily get caught up. So we definitely recommend what we do in the shadows and also check out the movie as well. You will not regret it. <laughs> so what, what do we got up next on the podcast, Dave? Something that's long overdue, perhaps some might say.
0: All right. Well, Mike, the next show that we are going to take a look at is Game of Thrones, the HBO juggernaut that is in the back half of its eighth and final season, and everything has come to a head. If you're not a fan of Game of Thrones, there are so many recap articles out there, recap videos. I believe you watched one that, yes. that recapped the first seven seasons. So I
1: desperately needed it.
0: Uh, this should be a lot of fun.
1: Yes. And it's definitely wrapping up in style and we have to talk about some of the reunions that go back to season one, some of the battle scenes that were pivotal because, you know, once you're going into your final season, all bets are off for pretty much every character. So I can't wait to talk about that one. Finally, I haven't talked about this show at all on this podcast in it's three and a half years of existence. So it's about time. But that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity.
0: And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media, as some of you have done on the Facebook group. You can send us an email at Sci-Fi Fidelity at gmail.com.
1: And thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next week.